Welcome back to the Max Out Show, where today I'm joined by Matthew Dix, an international best-selling author, expert storyteller, wedding DJ, minister, six-time Grand Slam champion, and coolest of all, Lord of Sealand. Against unbelievable odds that included him being falsely accused of a crime he didn't commit, nearly dying at numerous occasions in his life, he now managed to live his childhood dream of being a fantastic teacher and writer. So if you want to learn about overcoming setbacks and failures and adversity, if you want to learn about you know, creating a life and a story that you love, then this show is for you. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Do you even know what Lord of Sealand means? No, that's exactly what I was going to go with you. <laughs> because I literally just, like, you're the first person ever that I met. <laughs> so well, I was just sitting on Google for the last hour learning about it, and I just had to get started with this. <laughs> yeah, well, you can become a Lord of Sealand too then, you know, just by paying a little bit of money. <laughs> yes, that absolutely sounds <laughs> Yeah, sounds amazing. Yes, I think that's literally what I'm going to do tomorrow. Uh, that's great. <laughs> now... I know you're big on saying yes to, to unusual projects, to things that are outside of your comfort zone. So was that also <laughs> something that you just spontaneously said yes to? Or? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I heard about it. I thought it was clever. I knew that if I threw it in my bio, it would be something that I could talk to people about. Yeah. And so, you know, it was just, it seemed too good to be true and seemed like, why would you not become a Lord if you couldn't, you know? Right. So I, <laughs> I was literally saying the same thing, Lord, or maybe sir, I, I, I'm still not sure. <laughs> yeah I, I don't even make my students call me lord so it's fine <laughs> oh you don't <laughs> no oh, i'd require that every day <laughs> now, now i know many of your creative projects actually come from you saying yes to things that are way outside of your comfort zone or that you think may even be stupid or maybe just not be a good thing right so is that like a general rule except just embracing in your life right now is just saying yes to these kind of projects yeah, I sort of have decided that it's easy to turn a yes into a no, but I should at least say yes initially, that I should try everything. And then if I, you know, in the course of attempting it, I decide it's not for me, uh, then I can always, I can end it. But I think so often we cut ourselves off from opportunities because they just don't seem reasonable, feasible. They don't even seem like something we might enjoy. A lot of times I have found that the things I didn't think I was going to enjoy end up being some of my favorite things. So, so I just say yes to every opportunity. Love that. Now, the thing you're known for is really being an amazing storyteller. So is that something that you were always just great at, like just that came just naturally to you? Or was that something that you had to develop over time in your life? I guess I was a good storyteller early on, but didn't know it. You know, I sort of didn't know that I was good until I went to the moth, you know, a, yeah. a competition, a storytelling competition. And I just started winning all the time. And, you know, I discovered, hey, I'm, I'm good at this. Now, I always knew I talked well. You know, I was always the guy who would get girls by standing next to them as long as possible and saying as many things as I could possibly <laughs> say. You know, so I knew I could talk a good game and I knew I wrote well, but I really didn't understand how all of those things were coming together in my, you know, in my mind and, you know, out of my mouth until I, until someone verified it, until I really went somewhere and, and people said, hey, you're good at this. Yeah, just for our listeners, I think you won like 45 um, of the moth challenges so far. Is that Yeah, right? yeah. I, I like competition. I like to win and I like to tell <laughs> stories. So it works really well. 
<laughs> it all works great. Yeah. <laughs> so what makes a great story really for our listeners here that have you know, no clue of really how to even you know, unpack this whole thing? How do you tell a great story? You know, the problem is most people don't understand what a story is. They often think that a story is stuff that happened to me. And I'm going to tell you all that stuff, you know, over the course of time. And that's really not a story at all. It's just a painful experience for your listeners. <laughs> a real story is a moment of realization or transformation in our lives. It's a moment when we either were one person and then some stuff happened and now we're a new person, or we thought one thing about ourselves, our family, the world, and then some stuff happened. And now we understand the world in a different way. We've realized something new. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. It can be a really small thing because those little things are the are the things that people understand the best. They're the things that people connect to. So if I'm getting you right, it's really these transformational experience in our lives that we want to share with other people so they get some value from that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's value as much as it is connection. Mm. It's the idea that if I talk about how I came to some new understanding, you may feel the same way or you may have an experience similar and feel the same way. The transformation though, I want to be sure you understand, it's, it can be really small. It can really be like, you know, I used to think that, you know, I was great and I discovered I was only pretty good. That would be a fine transformation. You know, it doesn't have to be much. It, it can be really small and those are the ones I like the best. So what, what do you say to people that, you know, are just starting out and like, I don't have any stories. My life was boring, right? There's nothing to talk about. Right. I tell them that they're ridiculous. Everyone <laughs> has stories to tell. In fact, you know, I started telling stories because I've led this sort of ridiculous life with lots of unfortunate, you know, tragedies and mishaps and things like this. But what is the truth is most people like the little stories. So I encourage people to find them in their lives. You know, I prescribe something to them. I give them homework for life, uh, which is the idea that at the end of every day, I always ask myself, what is the most story-worthy moment that I've had on this particular day? Even if what happened on my day is not really story-worthy at all, I force myself to find the thing that made this day different than every other day. And then I record it. I record it by, I write it down in just a few sentences in an Excel spreadsheet. But if you do that over the course of time, you know, I have a TED Talk on it. You can go Google Homework for Life and you can see a lot more about it. But if you do this process over time, you'll discover you have more stories than you have time to tell. And that has been the experience of thousands of people who have engaged in this process over time. Now, do you ever go back through that list like every month or so kind of thing and then, you know, consciously relive those experiences? Yeah, it's so much fun. I, I usually wait 200 items, oh, so, wow, yeah. hmm. but it's not 200 days because a lot of days have more than one moment. So, you know, I create spreadsheets. I do 100 items and I shift to a new spreadsheet. I do 100 items, I shift to a new spreadsheet. So, you know, it might cover 60 or 70 days, the 100 items, but I'll wait for a couple hundred to go by and then I'll go back and look. And I'm looking for stories, really. I'm looking for moments that either I recognized at the time were going to be stories or maybe moments that I now realize are stories. And uh, I also just go back to relive them. I go back to, you know, I like going back and saying, what was I doing in July of 2016? And I go back to July of 2016 and take a look at those spreadsheets. And you're wow. right, you relive those moments. Suddenly those days are back, you know, they're right at the front of your mind. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I love that because even in my own life, I oftentimes realize that, you know, it's so easy to forget even what you did like last Tuesday, right? <laughs> yeah, we throw them away. We throw away our memories. We throw away days like they're meaningless. You know, we walk down the street and we pick up a quarter because it's 25 cents. But we'll have some really 
meaningful exchange with a person or we'll discover something about ourselves that we didn't know before. And if we're lucky, we notice it. And then we throw it away like trash and just move on. And suddenly, you know, you can't remember the last year of your life. You can, you can remember like 12 things that you did over the course <laughs> of the year. Uh, when you do homework for life, you don't lose a day. And you start to develop this lens where you see moments that you didn't see them before. And suddenly your life will feel more important. It happens for everyone. It, it's, it's a simple process that will change your life. For sure. So how, how exactly do you usually put that in place? Like, is it like right before going to bed, you just kind of sit down for five minutes and then really sort of visualize your whole day? Or do you just pick out specific moments that you're kind of marked before in your brain? I used to do it the way you described, which is I'd sit down at the end of the day and say, all right, what is my most story worthy moment? The question I really ask myself is, if someone forced me to go on a stage right now and tell a story about something that happened today, even if the whole day was boring, what is the item I would pick out? So I used to do it at the end of the day. Now I see the moments in the midst of the day. And so I'm often turning to my phone and just jotting them down so I can add them to the spreadsheet later. It, you know, they happen just all the time. Once you do this long enough, you develop this lens for storytelling where you realize your life is just filled with things that you never bothered to recognize. And even in the moments when you did recognize them, you didn't take any attempt to, to hold on to them. And then they just, they go away. Yeah, and I, th I think best proof that like this works is, is actually if you look at your blog, I think you've been posting every single day for the last 15 years, I think, right? Nearly 5,000 blog posts, which is yeah. just absolutely mind-blowing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame that I have something to say every day, but it is true. But, uh, you know, I haven't been doing homework for life for 15 years either. I've only mm -hmm. been doing homework for life for maybe, you know, seven or eight years. I've always been a person who has a lot to say, but yeah, if we look at my blog early on, 15 years ago, it wasn't as much about my life as it was about, hey, here's a thing I noticed. Now I have lots of stories to tell about my life, which engage readers because they're moments of real, you know, emotion, real, real, real stuff, you know, in my life that grab other people's attention. Yeah. So, so, so when you're writing every day, do you feel like you're writing almost to yourself, like just kind of really putting those things into your brain, those lessons you've learned, or do you actively write for, for other people? I actively write for other people. Yeah, I'm writing for the world. I'm writing outward, not inward. You know, I, I'm sitting down and going through a list. I probably have a list of about 100 things that I could write about. I just keep, I keep a list of blog topics, things I want to talk about. And the ones that are sort of timely, I have to get to them right away. You know, if I want to write about something that just happened in politics, you know, I can't wait six months. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the thoughts I have can wait a year. I have items on my list that are years old wow. that I still hope to get to someday, but I just, they're not timely. And they're often not what grabs me first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. You know, I sit down and think, what do I really want to say today? And I look at that list or something happened yesterday. And I say, oh, I got to say what happened yesterday. Oh, okay. So you always like find out one thing every day and, and write about that. Yeah, it's not always every day for the blog. It's definitely for Homework for Life, but not everything I write down for Homework for Life is going to make it over to the blog because some of those things, they're not story worthy. It is a boring day. I did find the most important moment in the day, but it's still never going to make the stage. I'm never going to write about it, but I did mark that day. I didn't lose the day, and that's important to me too. No, for sure. I absolutely love that. Now, you mentioned before your sort of humble beginnings where you had lots of adversity, lots of you know, problems and struggles. Um, so for our audience, would you mind sharing a little bit about how you really, you know, how you were struggling and how you overcame that then, and, and still, you know, ended up really inspiring thousands and thousands of people all over the world? I mean, I started out in a broken home with uh, parents of divorce and a terrible stepfather. 
you know, we didn't have any money. No one ever said the word college to me all the way through high school. Not a parent, not a guidance counselor, not a teacher. So when I was 18, I got kicked out. I went and lived with my friends who were attending college, but I did not. And um, eventually I was managing a McDonald's restaurant when I, uh, money disappeared from the McDonald's. Money that I did not take, but money I was responsible for. So, you know, I offered to pay it back. A deposit essentially went missing that was supposed to make it to the bank. And, um, you know, McDonald's didn't think I took the money, but uh, a police officer did. And so the police officer pressed charges on behalf of the insurance company. I ended up arrested and tried for a crime I didn't commit. And that resulted in me becoming homeless for a period in my life. So, you know, it was a, a rough year. I ended up getting robbed at gunpoint that year and something that was really horrific that's left me with post-traumatic stress disorder for, you know, what will be the rest of my life. But I eventually was found not guilty in court and I eventually got off the street with the help of a family of Jehovah Witnesses who found out- And the goat. <laughs> yeah, and the goat. Yes, they let me share a room with a the goat. They were people I had actually hired to work at a different McDonald's and they found out I was, I was oh, wow. living on the street. So they took me in. You know, I got found not guilty. And then I eventually made my way to college. And I had to work full time while going to college because I was taking care of myself. So I managed McDonald's restaurants for about 50 hours a week while attending college full time. Wow. But at that point, I was so happy to be in college. It didn't matter. You know, I was willing to do anything because I never thought I'd ever make it. You know, I was 20. I was probably 24 at the time that I finally made it to college. And truly, I just never thought it was going to happen for me. So I was willing to do anything that it took uh, to make all of that come true. Yeah, I think that's so amazing because in that situation, it would be totally normal, right? Totally acceptable if you had resentments, right? If you're angry at the world. And often these people are, right? And so, so what made you like, then shift to gratitude? Because it really sounds like you're almost grateful, not, not that you obviously had those experiences, but how you made them through and how you, you, know, you survived all that stuff. So how do you make sure you really put that like, positive spin on those things? Well, a couple things. One is I tell those stories and they really connect with people. So, you know, I had to sleep with a goat for 18 months, but I get to tell a pretty good story about it. And it's, it's entertaining. You know, it's also just given me this perspective on life that, you know, problems don't tend to bother me very much anymore. You know, things that often paralyze people are nothing to me because of what I've experienced already. And all I have to do is look back on my life and think there was a time when I was homeless and then I wasn't, that was good. <laughs> there was a time when I wanted to go to college and I never thought I would. And then one day I made it and that was good. You know, I wanted to teach for all my life. I wanted to be a school teacher and I never thought that would happen. And then that happened, you know, and I wanted to be an author. So I wrote like hell for 17 years every day of my life trying to write. And then one day that book published. So I'm always keeping sort of the past in perspective for me and remembering where I came from. And that makes, that makes the past seem a little more, palatable you know it makes it a signal of productivity and success rather than something that i should look back on and be angry about well i love that yeah i always look at it as like um the gap versus the gain right like so many people always focus on the gap between where they are and where they want to be right it's like i'm not there yet right my life isn't great enough yet right but what you're really talking about here is the gain right like how far you've already come right all the amazing things that have already happened and then living in gratitude is really so powerful because it allows you this whole different perspective. So I absolutely love that. Yeah, and I don't, um, you know, I don't buy into the gap because for me, I'm constantly looking for the new challenge. So there's no gap because I haven't predefined success. My success is let me take on something new. Let me learn something new. Let me, you know, enter a new frontier. Let me attempt a new, 
you know, a new kind of career, all of those things. And so I can't get to a gap because my success is tomorrow I'm doing something better or different than I'm doing today. Tomorrow I'm making something that I didn't have made today. And so my gap is tiny. It's just constant, relentless improvement. Wow. So, so what does the process look like for you? Do you have like a daily ritual of thinking about, okay, what's the next thing I could do? Or does it more like come spontaneously to you and then you decide, okay, now this is it? It's, you know, I do a lot. Someone once asked me, how do you juggle all those balls at once? Mm -hmm. And I say, only an idiot would try to juggle those balls. <laughs> I said, I have a lot of balls that sit on the ground in front of me. And I pick up one and I deal with it for a while and then I put it down. And then I pick up a different one and I deal with it for a little while. So I'm not like keeping a million mm -hmm. things in the air. You know, I basically structure my day based upon deadlines, time limits, and um, family and things like that. So, you know, my day might be, I'm launching a book, for example, next week. So right now, even though I'm writing a book, the writing of the book has taken backseat a little bit to uh, producing a podcast about the book I'm getting ready to launch and getting ready to speak in all of these places and do podcast interviews like this. So, you know, my day isn't really dictated by me but it's dictated by what needs to be done next what is pressing what what has a deadline and what doesn't those kinds of things but that way i just i, I load my plate up and i just sort of look for the things that need the most attention and i deal with them first okay but always focus on one thing at a time and not just too many balls yes hmm. now i might in a single day i might dj a wedding write a book work on a podcast mm -hmm. you know speak on a stage But in the moment that I'm doing those things, that is the only thing I'm doing. The same thing with my kids, though. You know, if I'm writing a book and my son comes and says, will you play with me? I always put everything away to play with my son. I, I recognize how important that is. And when I'm playing with my son, there's nothing else. It is I'm playing with my son and everything else is put away. So I'm never juggling. I'm never thinking about the other things unless I'm actually engaged in that process. Yeah, I love that. It's such an important thing, this ability to just like shut off everything else, right? And forget about work when you're with your family, forget about family when you're in work, right? And really focus on one thing at a time so you can actually make the biggest impact in that moment. So that's so powerful. Now, can you talk yeah. to me a little bit about living like you're 100? Why should people you know, <laughs> have this backwards perspective on their lives? Right. You know, so I was robbed at gunpoint. And when I was robbed, the person who was robbing me put the gun to my head. And um, they wanted me to open a safe in the back of the McDonald's and I couldn't open it. I couldn't get the box open. They wanted me to open because I didn't have the key. And um, in order to get me to open the box, they put the gun to my head and they pulled the trigger several times. And every time the trigger was pulled, I was sure I was dead. Oh, wow. And every time that trigger got pulled, I understood what regret was more than ever in my life. The idea that I'm a 22-year-old kid on a greasy tile floor and I've done nothing with my life. And I understood how awful it feels at the end of your life to feel that way. Now, I was given that gift at 22 in a way. You know, it's a gift that's left me with a lot of other problems. But it was a gift because what I do now is I make my daily decisions based upon what the 100-year-old version of me would want me doing. Because that person is on his deathbed and he's looking back and saying, I wish I had done these things. I'm doing those things so I don't end up with regret at the end of my life. So that means when... When I want to play video games with my friends, the hundred year old version of me says, you really don't need to do that right now. Yeah. It would be better if you played with your son. It would be better if you exercised. It would be better if you worked on your novel. Spend time with your friends, definitely, 
but do it in other ways, like on the golf course where you can actually engage in conversation and athletics. You know, have a dinner where you can sit across from each other and talk. You know, so I've eliminated things from my life that the hundred year old version of me would not want me doing. And my life is better for it. I sort of rather than living for that instant gratification, which we always live for, I'm living for the long-term gratification of a guy on his last day of life looking back and saying, what do I wish my life had been? I'm always thinking about what would I want myself to be today from the perspective of the 100-year-old man? Wow, I love that so much because I truly believe one of the biggest struggles we're facing today as a society is immediate gratification, right? It is all right. that social media and Netflix and all of that stuff that is just so readily available at our fingertips. And yet it's always like holding people back from truly experiencing happiness and fulfillment over the long run. So I love this perspective of like really looking at, okay, when I'm a hundred, right? How would I feel like thinking about this? Yeah, I encourage people to try it. Like one of the great ways to do it is um, a box arrives at our house and it's got my name on it and it's a gift. You know, it's clearly like my birthday, someone sent me a gift. And my kids and my wife can't wait for me to open it. And sometimes I wait three days to open it. I just recognize the fact that it's actually more enjoyable in the moments before you open a gift yeah. than immediately after it's opened, right? And that's that idea of delaying gratification. I always say that the lead up to Christmas is so much better than actually Christmas Day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the moment before my kids start opening presents. That is the culmination of Christmas for me. It never gets any better. And as soon as they start opening presents, it goes downhill. It doesn't mean it's bad, but it does go downhill. And so I'm always teaching myself that. You know, I get emails from my agent and the email will say like, foreign deal closed, which means some country somewhere has agreed to pay me a certain amount of money for my book. And it could be tens of thousands of dollars in that email. And I'll look at it and I'll go, oh, Taryn just emailed me. It looks like we closed a deal in Italy. I wonder what that is. And my wife will say, open the email and I'll say, isn't it more exciting to just wonder? Like, I'll open it, <laughs> you know, and it makes her crazy, you know? Yeah, and it, I bet. it sounds crazy to live this way too, <laughs> but I'm training myself to avoid instant gratification. Mm -hmm. I'm making sure that I understand that the weight is better than, you know, than, than the actual, you know, moment where you are gratified. And I, I do think it's a muscle that you have to practice working on. You know, it's the idea that I've never put a game on my phone. You know, I have friends who I watch in meetings and they play games, you know, um, what's it, Candy Crush? These games oh, like God. that. Right? Now, I was a huge video game player as a kid when they were coin operated, which actually I think was a better way of playing video games because there were real stakes in that. You put a quarter in it, like you got to, there's a real, there's a real competition there, you know? Yeah, there's a real incentive to win, yeah. Right, yeah, it really meant something. Uh, but I've told my friends, like, I'm sure I would enjoy Candy Crush, which is why I don't put it on my phone. And that way in meetings, I do other things. I, my book that's coming out next week was written in meetings. It's wow. a book, it's a book, it's a novel written entirely in lists, just list after list after list that tells the story of this man. And I wrote all the lists in meetings where <laughs> I didn't need to be paying attention anymore. I could have been playing Candy Crush. I could have been doing all these things people do to sort of kill time. I'm always trying to maximize my time. And I avoid that instant gratification for that reason. Yeah, it really sounds like you're sort of pre-planning where you're going to put your focus in, in the moments that matter most, right? Because with all of these things that you have going on, it seems like you really have to decide like, okay, exactly, this is how I'm going to use my time the most effective way. And then yeah. actually follow through on that and not engage in all these immediate gratifications and 
do all the easy stuff, right? When it's yeah, it's a little bit of pre-planning. You know, my friend at work, he says, he'll say, I'm going to Matthew Dix this meeting, which <laughs> means I never come to a meeting without something else productive to do. Wow. Because every meeting at some point dips into mm-hmm. hell. You know, it becomes awful. It becomes yeah. relevant to me. They start talking about something that is not within my purview. I always have something else to do. You know, if I'm sitting down to watch television with my wife, I'm asking myself, is there a mindless task that I must complete that I could be completing while I'm watching television? You know, it's why I wear headphones everywhere. You know, headphones are on my head all the time. Yeah. I'm not talking to someone and I'm not actually doing anything. If I'm traveling from place to place, why would I not be listening to a podcast or a book? Why would I not be filling my mind with music or words or, you know, information? So I just try to maximize every minute and make it worth something. Wow. I absolutely love that. Now, Matthew, on this show, we always love to celebrate failure. It's a stepping stone to success. So do you have a favorite failure in your life? I know you have lots of, lots of stories, so I'm sure <laughs> that's going to be a good one in there. Well, I mean, the biggest failure I had was I wanted to be a novelist. I wanted to write a book. And the, the problem I had was I, I didn't really know how to write. So I started writing when I was 17, and I wrote every single day since I've been 17. I was wow. writing columns on the early version of the internet, <laughs> and it was just a localized BBS server. Yeah. You know, I was writing everywhere I could find people. I would write, and it took me 17 years. I was 17 years old, wow. and 17 years later, that's when I published my novel. <laughs> so that means I had 17 years of failure before I finally had success. And I wrote a lot of sort of 50 pages of a book before I realized this is a terrible book. I did a lot of those before I finally found the way that I was meant to write. So there was, it was just endless failure until there was success. And I think people don't sort of understand that. They often see a person who's published a novel and what they can't see is the 17 years that it took to get there. You know, the 17 years of every single day I wrote without exception. You know, that's not something everyone's willing to do. But if you have a dream, that's what you have to be willing to do. So what what was going through your mind through those 17 years of of just constant disappointment, I assume, constant, like, I'm not there yet. What were you telling yourself to just keep going over and over and over again? Uh, A couple things. One was I was always getting better. So again, I didn't get there, but my goal was to get better. I was finding more readers. People were more interested in what I had to say slowly over time. So that was good. I also, it was fun. I liked writing. I genuinely liked to sit down and write. So when you find something you're passionate about and that you love, it's a lot easier to pursue it over a long period of time to get good at it. And then I always found different outlets. So, you know, I was working on novels, which is what I really wanted to write, but I was writing poetry on the side and I won a couple poetry contests and I was getting essays in newspapers and, uh, you know, op-eds and things like that. So I was experimenting with a lot of different writing so I could have those little successes. I really believe in celebrating every step of your process. So if I publish a poem in a magazine and I make $25, I'm going to spend the $25 in the most celebratory way possible. I need to honor that accomplishment. You know, I think people are always like looking like, I can't celebrate until I get the book on the shelf or until I become the New York Times bestseller. I say celebrate when you finish the book, even if it never publishes because most people don't actually write a book. So if you write a book, you should have a party that says, with a banner that says, I wrote a book and you didn't. And there should be (laughs) hot dogs and cupcakes and soda and beer. Like you should just have a party to acknowledge, I just did something that most people will never do. And then start the next step of the process, trying to get it published. But you have to honor yourself along the way 
And rather than, again, setting that forward goal, you know, honor the moments, celebrate those, the little steps you're taking along the way. Yeah, now I really love this, pro this, this focus on the process over just the end result, right? Because if, if you only focus on the end result, right? Of, like, I want to write this novel, right? Then 17 years is a damn long time to, to not achieve that, right? But if you can always focus on that progress, right? If you see, like, like you said, right? You publish that magazine article, right? And you get a little bit closer, a little bit better, and a little bit better. That's a yeah. lot more motivating for people. And I think that's really so powerful for everyone to implement in their own lives. Yeah, and if you don't set such a clear and specific goal, you know, I'm a person who actually publishes his goals every month on his blog and they were all clear and specific. But at the same time, I just sort of have a lot of things that I'm aiming at, but in a vague way. I want to publish a novel. It wasn't, I need to get on the New York Times bestseller list. It isn't, you know, that I, I need it to be published by one of the big six publishers. These things have worked out for me. But my goal was, I just want to have a book. You know, I want to have a book that you can go into a bookstore or a library and see. In, in some form, but I was happy with every step along the way. Yeah, you also mentioned your goal setting process, right? And really like it's, you kind of set goals in like every area of your life, right? So is that yeah. something that, that also like makes you more excited and motivated to see that like, hey, maybe here I'm not making progress, maybe not in my business, but right now my health looks better or my family's better, whatever. Yeah, that's part of it. And it's the other part of it is the idea that I just think we're better off when we do a lot of things. You know, and so if I acknowledge that part of my life is uh, improving my house, you know, doing things around my house that I want to do to improve. And part of my life is standing on stages and telling stories. And what can I do to improve that? And part of it is publishing books. And part of it is new projects, exploring new things I haven't done before. I just think that we're so much better off when we expand and do many things. You know, I, there's a lot of arguments that say do one thing really well. And I just don't believe in that. I believe like, yes, if you have to survive in the wilderness, you know, if you're trying to find food and shelter, maybe doing one thing, be that hedgehog, you know, that, that creature that can do one really good thing, that's great. But we don't live in that world. I think if you want to be an artist or a creative person in some way, I think that all of the things that you do feed into each other. And the more you have in your life, the, the better you're going to be. Yeah, absolutely love that. Now, I always love to um, give our listeners one piece of homework. And I know you're going to be great at this. So <laughs> we talked about a lot of things today. What would be the one thing listeners should take away and start implementing from ideally today on? Well, I mean, it's, it's going to be homework for life, which they're going to, I'm going to tell them to go watch the TED Talk because there's a lot of information on it. Going to send know. a link to that, yeah. Yeah, it's going to change their lives if you do it. Now, most people don't do it. About 10% of the people do it. But there are thousands of people in the world that are doing it now. So I, I would say that for sure. I mean, if I, beyond homework for life, what I would say is start looking at your life every single day and every minute and see what can be more productive about it or more efficient. You know, one of the best examples I have is I wanted to floss for a long time. Flossing is really important. It actually, if you floss, you live about five years longer. Because when you get old, if your gums are diseased, that's where... That's where like bacteria gets into your body when you're old, when your gums are bad. So I knew I wanted to floss and I had a hard time getting myself to do it. And then one day I realized if I put the floss in the shower, mm. I'm always going to stand in the shower for 30 more seconds and <laughs> floss. Why would I get out? And I haven't missed flossing for like, I haven't missed it in 12 years. You know, I haven't <laughs> missed a day. And that's just one tiny example of a million things that I do over the course of my day to maximize my efficiency and my productivity to make sure I'm not wasting minutes because we have to acknowledge that time is our most valuable commodity over so much. Like it's not even close. Your time is the most valuable thing you have and people dither away 
and just waste it. So if you can just find things like, if you can find the most efficient way to grocery shop, which I have, if you can find the most efficient way to empty a dishwasher, which I have, like I've just found ways to do things a little faster. And people always say, what are you saving three minutes? But I promise you on your deathbed, if you had three more minutes, yeah. you'd take them, right? You would take them. And so I take every minute as if it's precious because they all start to pile up. And eventually I start to be able to do things with them that other people aren't getting done. Yeah, I love this granularity of these efforts, right? You're looking at really at these, these super small processes, right? That most people like do like mindlessly without ever even thinking about what you could improve. And you really look at like, how can I make this the most effective? Because like you say, right, those things add up. And if you save three minutes here and three minutes there, and you do it every single day of the year, it's going to be huge over time. Yeah, and it's the easy way to do it. It's much easier to say, I'm going to find the quickest way to empty the dishwasher and I'm going to spend a month experimenting with different ways to do it. That's easy. It's hard to say, oh, let's look at your life and try to maximize all your time. Like that's just an unrealistic thing. But I just look at every little thing that I do and I try to find things that way. Love that. Now, before I ask my final question, where can listeners connect with you online? What's your favorite social media platforms? If they just go to my website, matthewdix.com, they'll find me everywhere there. And then whatever their social media is, they can, they can go and find that with me as well. So just go to my website and you'll find everything right there. Okay, perfect. Now, final question. What does mental mastery mean to you? All right. So I guess, I mean, mental mastery for me hasn't been mental mastery in terms of a specific thing, but sort of my life. It is the idea that I'm going to look at my life and I'm going to make sure that I feel good about the things that I'm doing at all times. And that when I don't feel good about something I'm doing, I'm going to seek improvement. I'm going to seek, seek positive, relentless improvement till I get to the point where it is where I want to. So I'm sort of mentally mastering, you know, my sort of existence. I'm constantly trying to find the way to make sure that this existence that I live, that every minute that I have is going to be the best minute that I have. All right, guys, that's it for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you gained some valuable ideas, tips, tools, tricks, mindsets, belief systems that hopefully inspire you to take your life to the next level. At the end of the day, guys, it's all about application. The only thing that's going to set you apart tomorrow from where you are today is how much action you take with those ideas that you gained. And so I really want to challenge you at this point to, you know, not just listen to this passively, to not just consume this, you know, passively, just thinking about other things, but to really take those lessons, take those ideas that you just gained and start applying them to your life. So to really start taking action and sprinting towards those goals and those dreams that you have in your life. Now, guys, at this point, I want to ask you for a huge favor. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider heading over to iTunes and leaving a review as that helps me really grow the show and reach more people, impact even more people around the world. You know, if you have a family member, a friend, a loved one maybe, that you think could benefit from this content, please consider, you know, sharing it with them, forwarding to them, as that helps us really build a community of like-minded people that are all about maxing out their lives. Now, guys, with that being said, thanks so much for tuning in today. I really, really appreciate it. Stay strong and see you tomorrow.